I am so grateful that Greg led us and those that sing with him. And I have to be glad that you're here and I'm glad that you got a Bible, something that you can open up. And I hope that you will join me in the little letter of Jude. The small little letter of Jude. If you're not really sure, you're like, I'm not really familiar with that. You go to the very end of the book and you'll be in the book of Revelation. It's not Revelations, it's Revelation. And then you go back to your left and right before you get to 1st, 2nd, 3rd and First, second, and third John, right nestled in between that is the letter of Jude. You may say, well, is it a book? Well, according to the heading of my Bible, it says the letter of Jude. So we are going to be in the letter of Jude. And if you see there in your bulletin, it just says Jude 1 through 2. That is not chapter 1 through chapter 2. It's just because there's only one chapter in the letter of Jude. And so we're going to be in verses 1 and 2 this morning. So what I need from you today, please, is that you are awake and that you are at least looking like you're paying attention. And if not, we may have to break out on some calisthenics. We may have to have Ron come around and show us how to do some jumping jacks and show us how to do some bear crawls. But we just got to look around and you say, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of tired this morning. I'm kind of feeling down. I'm just going to tell you that this last week I came upon a meme of Ric Flair. Remember me telling you about Ric Flair? Remember me? And I saw that and I was like, I haven't, we haven't done that in church in a long time. Did the whole whoo. So you start getting sleepy and you start dozing off. I may just break into a little Ric Flair and then you'll wake up and wet yourself and wonder what happened. So just to give you, just to give you fair warning this morning, I don't know where you're at in this season of life and I don't know where you're at in this season on the calendar, but it has seemed like increasingly as I've continued to get older and as our family continues to grow that this season is not always just a season of festivities and joy and relaxation and just easygoing life. Sometimes this season on the calendar can be very tiring, very wearying. Maybe none of you are in that stage of life. Just get some more kids, get some more responsibilities, and you'll find yourself in a season of life that you become tired. And you see the calendar, you open up the bulletin, and you see all the activities we have coming on in the life of the church, and you can go, I am tired, I am weary. The temperature, the weather, the sickness, the health, all of these things can drag us down. And I do this Bible reading, daily Bible reading, and my personal, uh, and my personal walk with the Lord. And just this last month, I was in my Bible reading, and I'm just feeling like having a little pity party for myself. You ever get those where you got that bottom lip out, and you're like, I got this to do, and I got this to do, and I got this to do, and nobody understands, and nobody appreciates, and everything I tried, I'm just spinning my wheels, and I'm not getting anywhere. And sometimes I can get that bottom lip out, and I start feeling sorry for myself. I start having a pity party for myself. And the daily Bible reading I'm in was in the letter of Jude. And it was like the Holy Spirit came upon and just slapped me in the, not the front of the head, the back of the head. I can't really do that. Just slapped me along the head and said, why are you whining? Get to work. So we've got four Sundays before Christmas. Four Sundays that we come together as a church before we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got four Sundays in the trenches of the festivities and all of this world that says is the the consumerism and all this world says is what Christmas is about. We have four weeks as a church to not only proclaim, but to celebrate and to tell a watching world what this season is about. And so I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to exhort you this morning to think to yourself how it is that we will proclaim like we never have before, both as an individual and as a body of believers, what Christmas is 
about. So in Jude, in Jude, the letter of Jude, in verse 3, we find the thesis statement, the reason for the letter. And this is going to be a central thing that we're going to come back to over the next four weeks. We're going to take these 25 verses in the letter of Jude, and we're going to look at them over the course of these four weeks. But verse 3 is where everything else circles around. Everything else rotates around verse 3. And in verse 3 in the text, Jude is writing and he says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The whole theme, the whole idea of what Jude is writing about is he's writing to this audience and he's saying, I'm writing to you so that you will contend for the faith. That word contend, if you go back and you study it out, the idea is it's a struggle. It's a fight. It's a constant battle that you are engaged in. If you were to think back to the Old Testament time and Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land and they get to this spot but there's a battle that's going on and Moses and Aaron and some of the other leaders are up on the hillside watching Joshua and the army down there doing battle and as long as Moses had his hands held up in the air, Joshua and the side of the Israelites were winning. But then if you keep your hands held up very long, your hands start to get tired. And Moses' hands started to droop, and they started to drop. And as his hands started to drop and started to droop, Joshua and the Israelites started losing. So they realized, hey, we got to keep his hands up so that he continues, so that the battle continues to be victorious on our side until we win. So they held up his hands for a period of time, and then Aaron and the other ones that were with him, their hands got tired, so they ended up getting rocks and propping rocks up under Moses' hands, so his hands stayed held up. That's the idea, is that it is a constant struggle, a constant battle. You are constantly contending for your faith as a believer in Jesus Christ. So what Jude is coming in, and he is wanting to remind the audience, he's wanting to remind you and I, that this whole idea of living out our faith in front of a watching world is a daily choice. And it's a daily challenge. And it's something that takes effort and intentionality all the time. It would be so nice and easy if Christians could get days off. Well, I know Christians take days off. I'm just saying if the Bible would give us days off. If there were days where you could just say, you know what, I don't need to guard, I don't need to guard my spirit today. I don't need to battle the flesh today. I don't need to look towards God. I don't need to submit to God today. I don't need to yield to God today. I can do whatever I want. It'd be so cool if we could just have those moments. But Jude says, here is what I want you to do. I want you to contend for the faith. So we come in and we ask the question, all right, Jude, so that is the central theme that's going to color the entire letter of Jude. How do we do it, Jude? How do we contend for the faith? Well, that is why I have you in verse 1 and verse 2, because what I think and what I hope you see with me this morning is what Jude says is this is how you do it. Part of how you contend for the faith is we're going to look at this morning remembering who you are. The next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to look at who they are as far as who you're contending against. Then we're going to look at what it is that we do in order to contend. And then the final Sunday, hopefully looking at what God is doing on our behalf to help us contend. So he starts off there in verse 1 and verse 2 and he identifies who he is. He's Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now let me just kind of give a little explanation of who that is. 
Most commentators, and it's widely accepted that James is the half-brother of Jesus. There was Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, conceived supernaturally through the work of the Holy Spirit. But then, you know the Christmas story, she was married to a guy named Joseph. And to her and Joseph, God gave other children. You can go back to Mark chapter 6, and it gives the list of brothers and sisters. And in that accounting there in Mark chapter 6, the Bible tells us that there were brothers like James and Judas. James, the half-brother of Jesus, goes on to be one of the leaders in the church there in Jerusalem. James, the book of James, is by that person. And then you have Jude. Jude is a variation of the name of Judas. So most scholars widely accepted that Jude is writing is the same Judas that is mentioned back in Mark chapter 6. It is the idea that you have both James and Jude, half-brothers of Jesus. They did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, but once he was crucified and was Once he came back from the dead, they then realized he is the Messiah and he is the Savior. And these guys are writing to say, not only do we believe in who he is, but we want you to believe in who he is. So he tells us there in verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. It just identifies who it is. But then notice who he's writing to. To those who are called beloved in God and the God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy Peace and love be multiplied to you. I want us to take a few moments this morning and just look at how Jude addresses the audience. Now, if you go back and you look, maybe if you have a Bible uh, study Bible or some type of commentary, there's not really a definite audience that Jude is writing to. When Paul is writing First or Second Thessalonians, he is writing to the churches there in. Thessalonica. You get to the book, uh, the, the Revelation of John, the book Revelation, and the first few chapters John is writing, being revealed by God, inspired by God to write to these seven churches. There's a certain audience that he has in mind. When you come to the book of Jude, Jude is writing primarily to Christians and primarily to believers. The, the, the nature of the language of the letter is not just to Gentiles and not just to Greeks. He is writing, that we may say, to all believers, to the church. So we could take by extension that he's writing to us. And notice what he says about us. He identifies us in two different ways. And there in your notes, on the back of that note, on the back of that bulletin, those notes that I put there for you, he's going to identify two different traits in the audience that he's writing to. And I want to submit to you this morning that these traits are true about us today. The first trait he talks about is our identity. Our identity. Last part of verse 1, he says to those who were called. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Now I understand some of you may have a King James Version translation and the word order is going to be different. Even the wording is going to be different. Even in the new King James, sometimes the, the, the wording, the order right there is different. So let me try to explain this as what Jude is saying. Jude, is, Jude first identifies those that he's writing to as those who are called. Called by who? They are called by God. What does that mean? What does that mean to be called by God? When you go back to what we talk about when it comes to this picture of salvation, anyone today that has been saved, born again, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called by God. You've been called by God and drawn by the Spirit. You've been made aware of your sin. You've been made aware of what God has done for you, the price that Jesus paid for you, and you've been called by God. 
God. So as Jude is writing this, he wants to make sure that they understand who they are, who their identity is, not in an individual, not in a social setting, not in a cultural idea. He wants to make sure that they know who their identity is in the kingdom of God, who their identity is within God. So he says, you were called by God, be loved in God. Now this is where the King James will use the word Sanctified. There's some other translations that also may use the word sanctified. What is he saying? He's giving us this three picture, this three part picture of what it means to be in Christ. He says you were called by God, you were loved by God or set apart by God, and then you were kept in or by Christ. He is saying that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That he loved you so much that he called you even when you didn't even know that you needed to be called. You have been called by God. You have been loved by the creator. And then you have been kept by our Savior. He says, do you understand where you're at in life today? You don't maintain your salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ maintains your salvation. You don't continually earn forgiveness. The work of Christ on the cross earned your forgiveness. There are things that sometimes in this world we start to think that I deserve, that I'm entitled to, or that I'm owed, or I have achieved by myself. And what Jude wants to remind them, Jude says, do you understand that apart from God, apart from the work of Christ, apart from the grace and the mercy that God so richly bestows upon us, we would have nothing. I am nothing in the scheme of eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. It doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter how many certificates I get on the wall. It doesn't matter how many kids I have. It doesn't matter how many times that I speak or I don't speak. I am nothing in the scheme of eternity apart from Christ. Let me see if I can explain it in a way maybe resonates a little bit differently. Sometimes we get so built up on who we are in the eyes of people. So I meet you for the first time. Hey, I'm Spence. Hi, my name's Jeremy Self. Okay, Jeremy, what do you do for a living? What have I just said? My whole understanding of who he is is based upon what he does, not whose he is. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's easier during this, especially this Christmas time, that we get so racked up in buying presents. We get so racked up in our family affairs. We get so racked up in our business dealings. We get so racked up in our vocation. We get so racked up in all these things in life that we forget who our identity is. Our identity is a child of God. So he tells them the last part of verse 1, you are called, you are loved, are sanctified by God, and you have been kept by Christ. He wants them to know this is your identity. So when it comes to then what you do, it's because of who you are. The reason why we tell people about Jesus is not because we have nothing else to do. It's because that's who we are. We worship God not because we have nothing else to do. It's because of who we are. The reason why you desire time with the Lord It's not because some preacher said you should. It's because of who you are. You get hungry, but you're created to need food. You breathe because you've been created to need oxygen. You drink fluids because you've been created to need 
fluids. There are certain things that you have to have to sustain life. And there are spiritual things that we desperately need to sustain our spiritual vitality. And he says, remember who you are. Because who you are will depend, will determine what you do. I don't know if some of you participate in this whole Black Friday thing. Years ago, I would sit there at my grandparents' house in Hennessy, and we get done at lunchtime with the Thanksgiving meal, and then after lunchtime, the began tradition was is my aunts and my cousins would then bring out all the papers, and we'd bring out all the circulars, and they'd sit around the table, and they would plan, and they would plot where they were going and what they were doing, and they would sit there, and they had had this whole itinerary planned out by the time Thursday afternoon came, and then they would develop a plan of where they're going to go. You're going to go here, you're going to go here, you're going to go here, you're going to go there, and once upon a time, you know, Black Friday started at like 6 o'clock on Friday morning. Well, then you had enough retailers that said, well, you know, if we back this thing up to about 10 o'clock on Thursday night, we can get more business. So then it became one of those things that they would sit there and say, you know what? Appreciate y'all. Good seeing y'all. Happy to see you all. But you know what? I got to be at this Black Friday sale Thursday at 9 p.m. to be in line so that I can do da 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 And they would get all worked up and all of these things so they could all go buy presents that are just going to rot and tear up and burn up eventually. They would get all worked up in this idea and this picture, and they wouldn't think about the matter of eternity. So Jude comes in here, and he says, you know what? If you want to have an idea of how it is that you are then to contend for the faith, that is back in verse 3, it starts with knowing who you are. It's understanding that I contend for the faith, not because I've been told to, but because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I contend for the faith because that is who I am. That is what I am. That is how I operate, and that is how I believe, and that is how I behave. So he says, number one is your identity, and number two is your possessions. Verse two, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I want you to notice how the word order there. He doesn't say, may you get mercy, peace, and love. He doesn't say, may you earn mercy, peace, and love. He doesn't say, may you find mercy, peace, and love. No, there's the understanding and there is the assumption that because you are in Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ, you already have mercy and peace and love. So it's not a matter of earning these things or getting these things for the first time. It's a matter of them growing and uh, being abundant and reproducting and reproducing and overflowing in your life. You already have these things because of who you are in Christ. The next question is is what is coming out of your life? Does that make sense? The idea that he tells them there, he says, may these things be multiplied to you. He doesn't say, may you find them, may you get them, may you come upon them, may you get them from someone else. No, he makes sure that understands that these things are coming out of you because of who you are in Christ. So what does he talk about? He talks about mercy, this ministry of mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion. And I struggle. I struggle with compassion. I'm not justified in struggling with compassion, but I struggle with compassion. Years ago, when I was pastoring in the Ardmore area, we were helping the Salvation Army ring the bell. You know what I'm talking about, ring the bell? 
You have the individuals set in front of the storefronts, and they're sitting there, ding, 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 Sitting there ringing, and people are walking in, and you got that little kettle there, that little pot there, and people are supposed to be putting coins in there, and you were sitting there ringing, and ding, 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 and it was so amazing the people that would come in that looked at me like I'm begging for their money. No, I'm just doing a community service, and I'm just ringing a stinking bell. But it was people would come in and act like they were indignant because I was asking them for two pennies. They were acting like, well, we don't need to worry about this. We don't need to help this. And I found myself saying, why am I ringing this thing a bell? Why am I doing this? This is dumb. I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't understand why I'm doing this either. I don't like to do this. And then I went down to the Salvation Army in Ardmore. And I saw where the money was going. And I saw the people. And I saw the needs. And you start to have a little bit more compassion when you see the faces of what the compassion is going towards. I struggle with this. I struggle with this, and, and some of you are better than me, and I need to learn from some of you what this ministry of mercy looks like. But what he says, what Jude says is, is may, me, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, he doesn't say except for Spence. He says may be multiplied to all of you, which means that whether you struggle with mercy or whether you struggle with peace or whether you struggle with love, we are all to be people that it should be multiplying in. So it's a point of conviction for me because I think so part of me contending for the faith is having an attitude of compassion, having an attitude of mercy. So he says may mercy and then peace. This idea that we have peace with one another, not because you have your mind right or because I have my mind right, but we have peace with one another because of who we are in Christ. We will not have peace in this world apart from Christ. You want to have peace when it comes to the protest. You want to have peace when it comes to the civil government. You want to have peace when it comes to the racism and the division that's plaguing our country. The only peace that will come is through Christ. And so we go to people and say, you want to have agreement? It's in Jesus. That's where it comes from. We will not have agreement within this church. We will not have agreement within this community. We will not have peace in our homes, in our families, in our churches, in our communities apart from Christ. So he says, let it be multiplied. Let you be that person that goes around that says how we have peace is having one mind in Christ. And then he talks about this love. This idea of love is what I think about is the conveyors of love. We are to be these conveyors of love. Some of you may be able to think back to the I Love Lucy TV show. And there's a scene where Lucy and Edith are in this factory. And they're supposed to be packaging these pieces of candy. I don't remember exactly what it is, but they're coming down. What? Chocolate? Was it chocolate? Okay, so they're supposed to be packaging up this chocolate. And so Edith and Lucy are there. Some of you are like, I have no idea what I love Lucy is. Okay, so just stick with me here. So two ladies, let's just try to put it in maybe some Anna Lee terms. So two ladies are there at this conveyor. This conveyor is bringing chocolate down. Or Autry terms. So the ladies are, they're supposed to be packaging this chocolate, right? So as they're doing this, Autry, the chocolate starts coming faster than they can put it in the packages. So as the skit plays on, Lucy and Edith are falling behind, and here comes this chocolate, and they're not being able to package it fast enough, so then they start eating it. And then they start putting it in their clothes, and then they start hiding it, and then they're just stashing it everywhere because it's coming and coming, and eventually Lucy climbs up on the conveyor to try to stop the chocolate from coming. Let me put it in my term vernacular. The late 90s and early 2000s, I think it still happens this way, but Oklahoma State University puts up a lot of square bells. It's an agricultural school. They put up a lot of square bells. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, they would put this thing out for contract. 
So anybody in the room that wanted to bid to earn that business, you could put in a bid. And if you had the lowest bid that you would put up their hay for so much per square barrel, then you would get the bid. In the late 90s and early 2000s, they were putting up 50,000 bales of hay a year. I was dumb enough to work for three different people that had the contractor three different times. And so they had this bell wagon. This bell wagon would pretty much take a school bus. You scrape off the entire top of the school bus. You put a snout on the front of it, put a chain down the length of it. Colton Ebers has one of these that he gives me nightmares about when he drives around. And, and you get out in the hay field and you start getting this hay. And you would pull on some of these fields and they would have four, 5,000 bells of hay in a field. And you would be back there and you had one person that was driving and you have two other people in the back of the truck stacking. And the whole idea is the faster we do it, the more money we make. And the guy that's driving that doesn't have to stack, his job is to make sure that you have hay to stack. So he's driving as fast as he can. And there were times, there were times that me and the other old boy, we'd be going as fast as we can. And that entire 30 foot of that conveyor would be just bell, 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 bell. And we'd finally say, stop. Too much hay. Now Spence, where does this tie in to Jude 2? Here's what I think Jude 2 is telling us. That we should be the kind of people in this world that the people in this community are looking at us and saying, stop. Too much compassion. Too much peace. Too much love. Can you imagine being the kind of church that people look at us and say, no, we've got enough. You've been compassionate enough. Can you imagine being the kind of church that people are looking at us and going, you all are way too friendly. You guys get along way too well. You all are way too easy to deal with. Can you imagine being that kind of church that people look at and go, you know what? I don't understand why you are so, so friendly to one another. Can you imagine being the kind of church that people look at and say, you know what? We can never run them out of love. They love us in this way and they turn around and love us in another way. They love us, they love us, they love us, they love us. What would it look like in a community where the people looked and said, this church is multiplying mercy and peace and love to all of those around us? That's what Jude is saying. Jude is saying, be that kind of church. Be that kind of Christian. Be that kind of family. Be that kind of home. Be that kind of marriage. Be that kind of follower. Be that kind of people. And every time they turn around, we're just multiplying it. Faster than they can consume it. Faster than they can process it. Faster than they can understand it. Faster than they can reconcile with it. We're just giving it and giving it and giving it and giving it. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude says, you want to contend for the faith? That's back in verse 3. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. You want to continue in faithfulness before God? This is how you do it. You understand who you are and you understand what you have. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an identity in Christ. And because you have an identity in Christ, you now have mercy, peace, and love. Maybe you're here this morning and you may say, well, I don't have that identity in Christ. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here because while you're here, we want to tell you about what God has done for you. The price that Jesus paid for your sin and how you might be forgiven of that sin and might have this identity in Christ today. 
But as you and I walk out of this room this morning, we can know that when we walk out of here, there's a lot of things that define us that are temporal. There's a lot of things that define us that are in the immediate. But there are some things that define us that are eternal. And when we come into this Christmas season and we come into this holiday season and we come into all these things, let us be known for who we are in Christ, not what credit card we have in our wallet. So how do we contend for the faith? How do we do that? Which is three ideas, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Three ideas when it comes to the letter of Jude. Jude reminds us this morning that what you do reveals who you are. That what you do reveals who you are. That's where I struggle with mercy. Confession is bad for the reputation, but good for the soul. I struggle with mercy. I see someone that is struggling financially. I see someone that is struggling Emotionally, I see someone that is struggling, and it's like, I, I struggle. But what I do reveals who I am. Secondly, contending begins with us. Contending begins with us. What do you mean by that, Spence? Well, contending first has to start in me. If I don't get up and I contend for my faith before the Lord. I don't get up and I contend with my walk with the Lord. I don't get up and I contend for my, my sanctification before God. I get up and I don't contend with being spirit-filled and being led by the Lord. I don't get up and contend for my obedience and my faithfulness to God. I don't get up and I contend for my walk with the Lord personally. Then how do I expect to contend for the walk of other people around me? Contending begins with us. And then finally this last one. Faith practiced yields we're going to see this as we go through this letter. But the idea that Jude is going to drive us to is that we need to contend for the faith. And when we practice that faith, it will yield more faith. You'll see some videos if you get on the internet very, very much. You'll see some videos of these, these guys that are just way too muscular for na- natural purposes. And they get on there and they may, they're going to try to deadlift. In this one video, this guy was going to deadlift 900 pounds. Why? What scenario in life is going to come upon you where you need to be able to deadlift 900 pounds? <clears throat> that is not realistic. I mean, I, he did it, but I mean, it's one of those things that you're not preparing for anything for life. There's nothing that's going to come around and you're going to say, I'm going to need to deadlift 900 pounds, so I need to be ready. But this guy sits there and he deadlifts 900 pounds. And I'm like, well, that's good for you, dude. How did he do that? He practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. He practiced what he pursued, and he pursued what he practiced. And when we want to grow in our faith, and we want to get stronger in our faith, we must practice our faith. So he says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He understands this faith is not a one-time thing. This faith is not a static thing. This faith is not a stale thing. This faith is something that we do and we do and we do and we do and we do. It's not something that we just wake up and say, well, you know what, I'm going to be faithful today, but you know what, tomorrow I'm going to take the day off. Now, I get it, it's a struggle. And I get it that this world is very good at wearing us down. And I think the vast majority of us in this room right now, you're tired. You're tired because of the pace. You're tired because of the grind of life. You're tired. 
family dynamics, work dynamics, culture dynamics. You're tired and you're ground down. It can be so easy for you and I in these moments to just check out and stop. Let me leave you with this. I may have read this to you before. My plan is to read it to you the next three Sundays. So if you don't get it this Sunday, you'll get it maybe one of the next Sundays. I am a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Scripture is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army. I am, list, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I'm a soldier. I'm not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I'm a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I'm in my place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, or candies, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to make me cause to quit. When Jesus Christ called me into his army, I had nothing. And if I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all of my need. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things to Christ. The devil cannot defeat me. People cannot delusion, disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from his battlefield, he will promote me to captain and allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army. I am marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching heaven bound. Here I stand. Will you contend with me? Jude comes into Jude 1 and 2, and he reminds us we are to contend for the faith because of who we are. And my question for you this morning is what are you contending for today? Bow your heads with me.